Assalamu alaikum to my beautiful beloved sisters in Islam. Peace be upon you. All thanks and praises are due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge from God, from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray and whoever God allows to go astray will never find guidance. I bear witness that there is no God but God alone without any partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's final messenger. Oh, you who believe, be mindful of God as is God's due and make sure to devote yourselves to God to your dying moment. May Almighty Allah bring you an abundance of peace on this most blessed Juma. As Bob Marley remarked, we're the survivors, alhamdulillah. Having reached what appears to be the turning point of COVID-19, inshallah, we'll soon be able to celebrate that we've overcome this scourge. We offer prayers of forgiveness, mercy, and peace upon those loved ones who succumbed to COVID-19 or were otherwise called to return to our creator during this challenging season for everyone. Not all scourges are viral or bacterial. And today I want to share a ritual, a celebration of the end of a scourge of humankind's hearts. That celebration is known as Juneteenth and the end of the scourge of chattel slavery in the United States. Chattel slavery officially began in 1619 AD, but even before that, Captain John Hawkins was commissioned by British Queen Elizabeth I to make four voyages to deliver enslaved Africans to the Americas. That began in 1564, and his ship was christened the Good Ship Jesus. That's pretty ironic for a slave ship, right? Enslaved Africans were primarily from Senegal, Gambia, Guinea, and Mali, West African countries that had practiced Islam as far back as 8th century AD. And those countries are primarily Muslim to this day. We now know, confirmed via writings by enslaved Muslims and U.S. public documents, that approximately one-third of those enslaved Africans who came across the Atlantic in that middle passage were in fact Muslims. There are several well-known African Muslims whose stories I'd like to briefly share with you. They represent a sampling of about 75 known Muslim narratives. There are several excellent books that chronicle the history of enslaved African Muslims, which I'd like to share with you in our Q&A discussion after Juma today, along with ayats of Quran that encourage the abolition of slavery. One of the prominent narratives that I spoke of is an autobiography, The Life of Omar Ibn Said, written entirely in Arabic in 1831 AD and translated into English in 2011 by Allah Al-Rais. And here's the book. I'm not sure how well you can see that, but I will share it, inshallah, during the Q&A session. Omar Ibn Said was born in about 1770 AD. He was captured in 1807 from his home in Futa Toro in Senegambia and was sold into slavery in Charleston, South Carolina. There's no doubt that he was highly educated and a devout Muslim throughout his life and that he had also earned the title Al-Hajj after making his pilgrimage to Mecca. 
He was well-versed in Quran. His earliest confirmed Arabic manuscript is dated 1819. And his last known writing was Surah 110 or Al-Nasr, Sukkor, which predicts the victory over one's enemies and of people subsequently embracing and entering Islam. He began all of his manuscripts with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of God, the most merciful, the most compassionate. Omar Ibn Said also wrote of his slave master, and I quote, the evil Johnson, a small, weak, and wicked man who did not fear God at all, nor did he read nor pray. As a Muslim, Omar Ibn Said felt it was his duty to free himself from bondage. He ran away, but was captured and resold to a Governor Owen in North Carolina. He died enslaved in North Carolina in 1864 at the age of 94, just one year before slavery was abolished. And here's a photograph of Al-Hajj Omar. I hope you'll be able to see it and we'll share them again during the Q&A. A sample of his writing is also available, and I will share that again as well. His writing begins, as did all of his writings, with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. It translates, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Thanks be to Allah for Allah's goodness of old, Allah's generosity and favor. To Allah is majesty due. Thanks be to Allah who created the creation for Allah's worship, so Allah may judge their deeds and their words. Another brilliant African Muslim was Yaro Mahmoud, who was born about 1776 and was abducted from his native Guinea at about age 16. He was known to be a devout Muslim and a very industrious worker. Finally freed at age 60 in 1796, Yarrow Mahmoud bought land and built a log cabin in Washington, D.C. He died there in 1823 at age 87. He so impressed people with his intelligence and his devout character that his portrait was commissioned to hang in the Georgetown branch of the Washington, D.C. library. It is there to this very day. And this is a copy of that portrait. It's from a book called African Muslims in Antebellum America a book by Alan D. Austin. And this is Yaro Mahmoud. And some people have said that he looks quite a bit like the poet Most Death, which is another discussion. Yet another famous African Muslim who was enslaved was Abdul Rahman Ibn Ibrahim Asori, who became known as the Prince of Slaves. He was indeed a prince, an emir, born in 1762 in Guinea. He was highly educated, as was his father, and he had studied at the famous Sankore University at Timbuktu. He spoke four African languages, Arabic, and he soon spoke English. When captured in 1788 and sold into slavery to one Thomas Foster, Foster quickly realized that Abdul Rahman was brilliant, and he resisted freeing him for 40 years because he was very knowledgeable about rice and cotton cultivation. 
Abdul Rahman wrote two autobiographies in Arabic and soon caught the attention of prominent public figures who were fascinated with this prince among slaves. Ultimately, his renown reached the president of Princeton University and all the way to the White House. President John Quincy Adams invited him to the White House as a genuine curiosity. Shortly thereafter, the Sultan of Morocco heard of this brilliant Muslim and demanded that he be released from slavery. You may remember that Morocco, a Muslim country, was the first to acknowledge the United States as a sovereign country following the Revolutionary War. And I want to show you a picture of Ibrahima. President Adams did free Abdurrahman, but the stipulation was that he could not remain in the United States as a free man. Abdurrahman and his wife, Isabella, were helped to move to Monrovia, Liberia, which is in West Africa, by the American Colonization Society. They had no choice but to leave their four adult children enslaved to foster. In Liberia, Abdurrahman and Isabella continued to raise funds to free their children, but he died only four months later, never again seeing his home of Futajalan nor his children. As a faithful and industrious Muslima, his widow Isabella continued to raise funds and was finally able to gain freedom for two of their sons and their families who moved to Liberia. Sadly, the other sons were sold away to different plantations and never again saw their mother. In 2007, a movie, Prince Among Slaves, was narrated by a modern-day Muslim entertainer, poet, and hip-hop artist, Most Def, who is now known as Yassine Bey. It was based on the Terry Alford book of the same name. There are many more stories of African Muslims who were enslaved in the United States, but hopefully these brief stories of Omar Ibn Said, say his name. Yaro Mahmoud, say his name. Abdul Rahman Ibn Ibrahima, sorry, and his wife Isabella, say their names. That saying their names will enlighten all of us and acknowledge that not only were approximately one third of enslaved Africans Muslims, but that they were committed to overcoming slavery for themselves and other enslaved people. That is a mandate from our creator. I say what I have said. May God forgive all of us. Alhamdulillah. All praise and thanks are due to God alone. There are numerous ayats in Quran encouraging the freeing of enslaved people, to treating them with kindness, even helping them with one's own funds, to giving them a financial gift to begin a dignified life after the indignity of slavery, all with the intent of phasing out the pre-Islamic practice of slavery, and in a way that would not backfire and lead to a persistence of racial hatred as it happened in the abrupt abolition of slavery in the United States. I'd like to read a portion of Surah Nur, Surah 24, Ayat 33. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And if any of your slaves ask for a deed in writing to enable them to earn their freedom for a certain sum, give them such a deed. If you know any good in them, yea, give them something yourselves out of the means which God has given to you. And it continues. I'd like to share also Surah 90, um, it's called Avalad, the city, and I'm going to read ayats 12 through 18. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And 
what will explain to thee the path that is steep? Is it freeing the bond? It is freeing the bondman or giving a food in a day of privation to the orphan with claims of relationship or to the indigent down in the dust. Then will he be of those who believe and enjoying patience, constancy, and self-restraint and enjoying deeds of goodness and kindness and compassion. Such are the companions of the right hand. We also have the example of the prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, who freed his slave, Zaid, and afterward adopted him as his son of Abu Bakr, who used his funds to buy the freedom of Bilal ibn Rabah, who later became the first muezzin, a caller to prayer in Islam, and who the prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, said would be the first to enter heaven ahead of Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. And we have the history of the first Hijra, the migration, when our beloved prophet encouraged Muslims to escape enslavement or death. They fled in Abyssinia in 613 CE to be protected by Anajashi, the king, the Negus of Abyssinia, who by all accounts was a righteous king. We know the Negus Anajashi was a Christian who, upon hearing the message of Quran, refused to return those Muslims to the Meccans. It's believed that he accepted Islam afterward, but what is confirmed is that upon hearing of his death in 632 AD, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, gathered his followers and prayed Janazah in absentia for the soul of Anajashi. All of these historical personages are examples of what Islam teaches, that we are all as equal as the teeth of a comb, that no ethnicity has priority over another except by good deeds, and that Muslims have a duty to free enslaved people. So how does all of this historical knowledge tie in with Juneteenth? Well, I am your Katiba for today, but I am also a griot, a jelly, a keeper of the history of those African Muslims who were captured and brought into bondage in the Western Hemisphere. West African griots or jellies are incredible family oral historians who can recite their culture's history going back a thousand years and more. In fact, it was one of those great griots of the Gambia who was able to recite the oral history of Alex Haley's Muslim ancestor, Kunta Kente, as related in the famous book, Roots. It is my honor, it is a blessing as a griot to share some of the marvelous history of enslaved African Muslims who resisted U.S. slavery in countless ways. And it is my honor to share the celebration of the liberation of a people held in chattel slavery for 250 years in this country. Everybody loves a celebration, a party, a ritual, a way to mark a successful milestone in life. And just as we celebrate the hijra of Muslims into Abyssinia and the hijra of our beloved prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, into Medina, we celebrate the end of U.S. slavery or Juneteenth. A bit of history. Juneteenth is an amalgam of June and 19, or Juneteenth. It started on June 19, 1865 in Galveston, Texas, and was, is truly a cause for celebration. In fact, it is celebrated in every state in the United States except Hawaii. And just two weeks ago, the U.S. Senate voted to make Juneteenth a national holiday nearly 160 years after chattel slavery ended. The U.S. Civil 
war to end chattel slavery began in 1861 when Abraham Lincoln was elected president. 11 Southern states refused to give up slavery, which was the source of their income. They decided to secede and form their own confederacy. And so the Civil War began. In fact, the South was quite wealthy and had sent their sons to the top military academy. When the Civil War began, those sons of the South returned to their home states, taking their military skills with them. And for nearly two years, the South was actually winning that war. As a military tactic, President Lincoln announced that as of January 1st, 1863, all slaves in the Confederacy would be free. As a point of clarification, Lincoln, who was known as the Great Emancipator, was willing to allow slavery to continue in four border states because those states did not join the rebelling Confederacy. Those four border states were Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri. As the Civil War raged on, more and more Africans got word that they were free. Remember, slaves were not generally able to read because it was against the law to teach a slave how to read. They continued to escape though. They joined the Union Army and they resisted in every way that they could until the South was firmly defeated. An estimated 200,000 Africans joined that Union military from both the North and the South. And President Lincoln acknowledged the importance of those brave fighters, saying, quote unquote, without the military help of the Black freedmen, the war against the South could not have been won. After four years and nearly 650,000 lives lost, the South was firmly defeated. On April 9th of 1865, General Robert E. Lee surrendered to Union General Ulysses S. Grant at the Appomattox Virginia Courthouse. The Civil War was officially ended and those enslaved in the Confederacy were officially free. So, hallelujah, alhamdulillah. But there was just one glitch. If you look at a U.S. map from east to west, Texas is a long way away from Virginia. Those Texas slaveholders simply did not tell their enslaved Africans that the war was over and that they were free, according to the Emancipation Proclamation. It wasn't until U.S. Army General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas, with 2,000 troops on June 19, 1865, Juneteenth, that those enslaved in Texas finally realized that they had been officially freed from bondage over two and a half years earlier. It is estimated that about 250,000 enslaved Africans were freed that day in Texas. So truly Juneteenth is and was and is a cause for celebration. And just as the Sahabas and the Ansar rejoiced at the successful Hijra to Medina of our beloved prophet and his friend Abu Bakr, so did these newly freed human beings celebrate Juneteenth after enduring slavery for 250 years in the United States on United States soil. They celebrated prayers of thanksgiving, music, dance, speeches, and all the food they could muster. And if you know anything about Texas, that meant plenty of spicy barbecue, watermelon, and hot red soda. There were tears of joy and gratitude to Almighty God. And this Black Independence Day, Juneteenth, has been celebrated every year since 1865, beginning in Texas and spreading around the United States. On a somber note, 
Africans discovered a mass grave of Union soldiers and decided to give each of them a proper burial in gratitude for them sacrificing their lives to right a grievous wrong to ensure that God-given freedom of enslaved African people. Those newly freed Africans then enlisted 10,000 people to join a parade to honor those fallen heroes. And this was the genesis of what we now call Memorial Day. As multiple ayats of Quran teach, Allah wants us to stand for the right, to forbid what is wrong, to change wrongs with our hands or with our voices or with our hearts. And that is the least of faith. In honor of those brave Africans, one third of whom were Muslims, for the past 12 years, our own sister Mosin Jassari Cooper has had the privilege and the challenge of producing an open air Juneteenth celebration in the Merck Park, our little Africa. And this year, Mosa extended her commitment by creating a virtual Juneteenth, as well as celebrating in the Merck Park and in Watts. It's a day of blessings, just as it was in 1865 with speakers, cold drinks, music, dance, children's games, an amazing array of vendors and proud African-Americans waving the Pan-African red, black, and green flag. We celebrate Juneteenth with traditional soul food, barbecue, tater salad, greens, and watermelon, our national fruit that matches the red, black, and green flag that represents African-Americans. And although historically watermelon has been used as a pejorative African-Americans have turned that stereotype on its head and embraced watermelon as a celebration of red, black, and green, that Pan-African flag of striving for freedom. And coincidentally, the Palestinian flag has the same colors. And they have also embraced watermelon as representative of their red, black, green, and white flag, which Israel has forbidden them to fly. Watermelon, that national fruit, has become a Palestinian symbol of resistance as well. So maybe next Juneteenth, we can all enjoy watermelon as a pan-Muslim symbol of resistance in solidarity with Palestine and in celebration of Allah's mandate to resist oppression wherever it surfaces among mankind. Juneteenth is also a day that includes quiet reflection, of course. Sadness for those mistreated throughout slavery, those families permanently lost from one another, and faith that the truth of African resistance to slavery will continue to be revealed, that this nation will heal and move toward full inclusion for all of its citizens, for we are indeed all one humanity. I'm reminded of how the first Muslims continued to break, to speak truth to power, to fight in defense of their freedom, how by the will of Almighty God and the sacrifices of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, eventually the entire entire Arabian Peninsula surrendered their pagan habits and bowed down in, in submission to one God and how there are now 1.2 billion Muslims throughout the world. The journey of Islam is truly a remarkable event in world history. Alhamdulillah. As a griot, as a jelly, as a keeper of the history uh, of the history of African and African American people, I am honored to help preserve the history and sacrifices of those enslaved 
Africans who also rose to overcome oppression, who honored those who sacrificed to end slavery, who rightfully continue to celebrate the gift of freedom, a gift from Almighty Allah, which no man or woman has the right to take from another. We have the ayats of Quran that encourage abolition of slavery. We have the example, the Sunnah, the Hadith of our Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, as our guide to encourage us to continue to uphold the right and forbid the wrong and to celebrate the praises of Allah as one ummah, as one community. Inshallah, we will continue our prayers and actions focused on the oppression of Muslims here in the United States, also in Canada and in Palestine, Nigeria, in China, in Burma, Myanmar, in Syria, in Yemen, in Kashmir, say their names. And inshallah, we will all stand for oppressed people wherever they are. Juneteenth is a celebration from Allah, a celebration of the abolition of slavery in a not too distant past. African Muslims were an integral part of that 250 year rebellion against the evils of slavery. And so as a Muslim, a griot, a jelly, I am proud to celebrate and promote Juneteenth and to hopefully encourage all my Muslim sisters to celebrate another victory for Allah. Allahu Akbar, God is greater. I'd like to share with you Surah 2, Ayat 177, Al-Baqarah, the cow. It, it is not righteousness that you turn your face toward east or west, but it is righteousness to believe in God and the last day and the angels and the book and the messengers to spend of your substance out of love for him, for your kin, for orphans, for the needy, for the wayfarer, for those who ask and for the ransom of slaves. God commands justice, doing good and generosity toward relatives. And God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy and oppressive. God teaches you so that you may take heed. Recite what has been revealed to you of the book and stay consistent in prayer. Indeed, prayer restrains the human from lewd and wicked behavior, but the remembrance of God is even greater and God knows everything that you do. Wakina as-salat, perform the prayer. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna muhammadun rasulullah. Hayya ala salah, hayya ala al-falah, qad qamati salah, qad qamati salah. Allahu akbar, Allahu akbar, la ilaha.